Good morning, this is Sister Lisa coming to you from the ill, the Edwin Elder Library, and today we're going to be reading Chapter 3 out of Meeting God in Holy Places, A Devotional Journey by F. Lagarde Smith. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, John 3.16. Valley of Gehenna, Providence. You'd have to know the whole crew, Max, Stanley, Rubel, Joseph, and myself, and just how different we all are in order to appreciate the friendly banter and good-natured barbs that we were poking at each other while driving around Israel together in a rented van. Anyone who did know us would undoubtedly say that we were an altogether interesting mix of personalities, egos, and even doctrinal outlooks. Yet here we were, happily bundled up together in the middle of a bitterly cold Israelite winter, careening from side to side as Max drove like a madman, while Joseph was shouting directions from the rear of the van. As we neared the Wadier Rabbi W-A-D-I-E-R-R-A-B-A-B-I, better known to most readers of the Bible as the Valley of Gehenna, the shout came out, Max! Go to hell and turn left. By that time, we all knew what Joseph meant. Throughout the course of the week, we had repeatedly crossed down through the valley, which is biblically associated with hell. At that, someone chimed in. It'd be a cold day in hell before this bunch of guys ever find themselves in the same van. From what we can see in the Arctic-like conditions, Gehenna, a precipitous ravine, which begins near the Jaffa Gate and stretches around the west and south of the old city until it joins the Kindron Valley, didn't look at all that inviting. Nor, it seemed, would it look much cheerier even in warmer weather. But had it been warmer, the imagery would have been far more appropriate. In fact, the hotter the better, since one can hardly think of hell without thinking of fire and heat. Although hell is referred to as a lake burning with fire, not a burning valley. Anyone familiar with scripture will know that the Valley of Gehenna is closely linked to two different kinds of fire, and hence the picture of hell. In ancient Israel, the Valley of Hinnom, H-I-N-N-O-M, as Gehenna was then known, was notorious as the site for sacrifices to the pagan god Moloch. Not just the ordinary sacrifices, mind you, but even child sacrifices. The sacrifice of a pigeon permitted the worshiper to pass through the first gate, a sacrifice goat through the second, and so on. But only the sacrifice of one's son or daughter permitted a man to pass through the seventh and last gate into the very presence of Molech, M-O-L-E-C-H. In this horrendous pagan practice, the worshiper would kiss his child and then place the child in the red-hot arms of the idol, inside of which was continually burning fire. To muffle the screams of the children who were passing through the fire, onlookers were frantically beat loud drums. In fact, Topeth, T-O-P-H-E-T-H, at the southeast end of the valley, takes its very name from the root word T-O-P-H, meaning drum. The evil of sacrificing to one's own child is so unthinkable that God, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, said, They have built the high places of Topeth in the valley of Ben-Hinnon to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. Something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. I confess I am equally perplexed as to how such a practice could ever have entered the mind of man. So great was God's wrath on this issue that he vowed severe punishment for this detestable practice. 
The days are coming when people will no longer call it Topheth or the Valley of Ben-Hinnon, but the Valley of Slaughter, for they will bury the dead in Topheth until there is no more room. That very prophecy was fulfilled when Josiah later destroyed the altars, broke apart the idol, the idol Molech, and in an eye-for-eye fashion burned the bones of the pagan priests and dumped them into the valley. From that point on, where Gehenna became a kind of garbage dump for Jerusalem. It is from this garbage dump usage of the valley that we encounter the second fire to be associated with hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, as Jesus put it. This fire was a perpetual smoldering, constantly fueled by refuge that was thrown into the fire. To complete the picture, there is even Jesus' imagery of bodies being thrown into hell, as if into the burning garbage dump where they are consumed by the fire. Dante's Inferno, with its guided tour of hell and all the various levels of suffering, unspeakable pain, shrieking in torture, has probably shaped our thinking of hell more than anything strictly biblical, apart from Scripture's sobering reference to weeping and gnashing of teeth. But who could possibly miss Jesus' own reference to hell as being a place of punishment, banishment, and destruction? Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, Jesus warned. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Eternal punishment, eternal destruction, eternal banishment from the presence of God. Hell is not a pretty picture, nor a subject of any comfort. Jokes about cold days in hell and hell freezing over belie the seriousness of a subject all too easily dismissed for more comforting, warm fuzzies. More difficult yet is the hard question asked about how a loving God could permit such a place of punishment and destruction. The most logical answer to that question takes us full circle back to child sacrifice and why hell is an appropriate consequence of such human horror. I am not thinking here merely of those who laid their sons and daughters on the red-hot arms of Molech while the drums drowned out their children's terrified screams. Instead, I am thinking of the rather more disturbing story of God calling Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar because of the surprise ending when God stops Abraham at the last minute. We tend to forget the events leading up to the knife in Abraham's hand, poised to do that which we would quickly condemn the pagan for doing. Abraham indicates in every way possible that he believes Isaac will somehow be spared, if only by being brought back to life, and certainly God never intended to let Abraham go through with the killing. It was a test of Abraham's trust and commitment to God. But if offering Isaac as a sacrifice was God's idea, then what am I to make of God's response to the child sacrifice of Molech worship? Nor did it enter my mind. What can that possibly mean but that God could never have imagined people whose sensitivities were so callous as to be untouched by the cries of pain of their own children? That apparently was the very reason God chose child sacrifice as the ultimate test of Abraham's faith. No other test could ask so much dependence upon God's providence. To his eternal to his eternal credit, Abraham's faith did not disappoint. God will provide was Abraham's answer to Isaac when he asked his father about the sacrificial lamb. And to this day, Moses wrote of that incident. It is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. What then does the story of Abraham and Isaac tell us about hell? It is merely that those who misdirect their faith to pagan gods and literally offer their children as sacrifices are, unlike Abraham, deserving of hell. If so, are those who sacrifice their children on the altars of divorce and dual careers and abortion any less deserving? Is there no mercy, no hope for sinners all, including you and me, whatever the grievous sins we may have committed? 
as I viewed the barren, foreboding valley of Gehenna with its dark history and scriptural associations with hell, I could not help but hear over and over the words of Abraham, The Lord will provide. And from the bottom of Gehenna, from the very pit of hell, as it were, I could almost see the cross of Christ just beyond the valley on the hill of Jerusalem. And again came the refrain, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Provided indeed, if hell is the natural and appropriate consequence for the detestability of sin, God in his mercy has provided a way of escape, but not without great cost, the sacrifice of God's own son. For the unlovable God did the unspeakable. Oh, for the unlovable, comma, God did the unspeakable. And as Jesus cried out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The drums of heaven beat so loudly that the earth shook and the rock split. Hell is not certainly hell is not centrally about torture and pain fire and flames but as one is reminded by a drive through the garbage dump of Gehenna about lives wasted and destroyed it's about the burning stench of eternal spiritual death that will render meaningless any life that has been lived in open rebellion to God that has refused to accept the mercy of God and that has shown abject content for the only child sacrifice ever made necessary so, with Max at the wheel and Joseph yelling in our directions, we drove recklessly through hell and lived to tell about it. As we left the valley and drove to higher ground, it wasn't the shameful sound of the pagan drums that lingered, nor the fearful, fearful prospect of fire and brimstone for the unrepentant wicked. It was instead a distant view of the cross of Jesus, just beyond Gehenna, together with a vision back through time of a euphoric Abraham shouting over and over, God provides, God provides. Praise God that for sinners all he provides. Jehovah Jireh. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. I feel God. I feel the presence of God reading this. You know, above all else, we've got to keep on pointing others to the cross. Show others that God did indeed provide. He made a way for us. You know, so many times in life, I've I've had tests that I've went through, and it seems like over and over, I am giving the test of forgiveness. When people do things against us, do things wrong to us, you know, of course, we want to retaliate. We want to find a way to get back, get even, or to um, to at least turn their turn what they meant for evil into good. But you know, sometimes it's not that. Sometimes we just have to remember that God is trying to teach us a lesson that when we forgive others, he forgives us because we all are in need of a savior. We're all in need of forgiveness. We're all in need of having our debts rode away, washed away. You know, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Well, God bless you all today as you go about this day. And just um, remember to do good. Do the best you can. You're not going to be perfect. We're none of us perfect. We mess up. But we have a perfect Savior. We can immediately go to Him and take our burdens and cares to Him. And somehow we can smile through the pain. Somehow we can find the joy in the journey because he made a way for us. God bless you. Let's keep on meeting God in holy places. He's a great God. Love you. Bye-bye.